0: The expert in everything was once a beginner. And it's just always stuck with me because I'd be, I'd be reading pedigrees and I would be just looking at the thing thinking, I actually have not a clue. Like.
1: Welcome to the Flourishing Equestrian Podcast. Our purpose is to inspire and educate in all areas of horse and rider health, welfare, and performance. We talk to guests from around New Zealand and the world to help bring fresh perspectives, ideas and pathways to allow the best version of both the horse and rider to flourish. This week on the Flourishing Equestrian Podcast, we are joined by Emma Coleman. Emma has been around the world working with thoroughbreds whether it be at a racing stables or on studs, and recently completed the Godolphin Flying Start. If it has been your dream to work with horses, Emma's story is sure to inspire you with all the opportunities that she has taken from her own home country and also around the world. Hi Emma, how are you today? Hi Hannah, I'm great, great to catch up with you again, it's been a long time. It has been, where are you joining us from today?
0: So I'm currently in Sydney and Australia, I just moved here in September so I've started a new role at Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bot Racing so this is where I'm based for now and it's pretty exciting to be back in Australia.
1: It is exciting, so tell us a bit about your background because you're not from Australia, you're from Ireland.
0: Yes, so I've got a pretty... I guess you could say a bit of a strange background into how I got into racing. So, I'm from Dublin City, like 10 minutes outside the city originally. So, there's absolutely no horses in sight where I'm from. And it's probably when I was about seven or eight, my friend in school, her mom asked my mom if I wanted to go on a horse riding lesson. And I just vaguely remember being terrified of horses. If we'd go to like petting zoos on school tours, I would never even. I wouldn't want to feed their carrots or anything. And so when we went on the the riding lesson, I was so nervous, didn't want to get on the horse. And then the hour went by and I just became obsessed with it. So my horse obsession started from there and I just kept doing lessons when I was younger, ended up becoming an instructor in my riding school. And then when it came to college and what I wanted to do, I originally wanted to be a vet. So I took up all the science subjects, was doing chemistry for about a month and could not hack it at all. And just decided that if I wanted to pursue a career as a vet, how was I ever gonna cope if I couldn't even do chemistry at secondary school level? So took a bit of a better move and switched from chemistry to accounting. And then I decided to do equine business in a pretty small university in Kildare called Maynooth University. And from there, it's kind of where my journey into the thoroughbred industry began. Probably I actually could go a step back again. When we're in transition year in school, so when you're like 16, you do a bit of a, it's almost like a gap year in school. And I did, I spent a week at Coolmore in Tipperary and it was in Coolmore that I found out about the Flying Star. So I was about 16, found out about the Flying Star and thought that this course was just absolutely incredible and how could anyone be selected to go on that travel the world learning everything there is to know about horses so kind of had that in the back of my head when I decided I want to do equine business so that was probably my first inkling into racing and then it wasn't until I got to college that I really uh, pursued a career in the thoroughbred industry.
1: Yeah so kind of a like bloom of I suppose once you get bitten by the horse bug um, there's no going back
0: Absolutely not. It was just spiralled out of control then. Yeah. I then ended up... So my first year in college, I did the uh, Orby sales and the Goffs Fall sales. So that was my first time ever doing the sales. I was completely new. wasn't like handling the horses, the yearlings or anything. I was more so doing boxes and assisting the other ground staff. And then the my first summer in college, I went and there was an internship available through our university to go and work for Godolphin out in Kentucky so of course I grabbed the opportunity, was the first person to apply and two of us ended up going out and I spent three months at John Farm working with the mares and foals over there so John is one of the most beautiful farms and I was managed by another Irish man called Michael Banahin, who was a huge help and has been a really big help to me in my career to date and so I got to spend three months out there which was an amazing network networking opportunity. Kentucky is basically feels like you're in Ireland. It's like a, a hub of Irish people down at McCarthy's Bar in the in um, in Kentucky town. So that was an amazing experience. And then I came back, did my second year in college and always had like I always knew that you had the option if you either wanted to study abroad in third year or do a placement. So I kind of took it upon myself to do both. So I created an international placement for myself. And my, one of my mom's very good friends, Olivia told my mom that her brother owned a stud farm in New Zealand. So This would have been a few years like previous to me wanting to do the, the placement or even really seriously considering working with race horses. So when I started thinking about things, I got in touch with Olivia and she told me that her, brother Gordon Cunningham has a stud farm in New Zealand, um, it's very successful. I was so curious at this stage that so I just, didn't, just thought it was another stud farm. Anyway, packed my bags and flew to New Zealand by myself. I still remember. How traumatic it was saying bye to my mom and dad. My poor mom was not coping with me flying to the other side of the world by myself. I knew absolutely nobody in New Zealand. Those six months that I spent at Kerrmore were probably—I definitely wouldn't be where I am without them. I, Gordon,
1: person, eh? yeah,
0: and that's where we met. Me and Hannah met at Kermore uh, Stud. Remember arriving there and meeting. There was two other girls on the team. I just had no expectations of what. What was happening and um, or what I was going to be doing just went in with lots of enthusiasm and willingness to try and work hard. And I remember asking, I remember the girls telling me, they were like, you make up our fourth member of staff. And I was like, that's great. How many horses are here? And they were like, oh, there's about 150 horses. And I just was like, OK, there's quite a lot of horses and that's not much staff. But then I always remember that they do things quite differently on sub farms out in, in the Southern Hemisphere with regards to they stay out and everything falls out. So I maybe then thought that, oh, it'll just be a lot of walking around and checking the paddocks. But there was a lot of that, but there was also a lot of other things. But it was an incredible six months and I was lucky enough to spend time on both the broodmare division and a bit of time with the yearlings. And then, of course, I got to go to Karaka sales at the end of it all. So just that whole experience was incredible and I've never worked for a boss like Gordon he was almost like a second dad to me and he'll always like make sure you're learning every day and being involved with everything whether it's vet work x-rays like grassland management all the feeding and like making sure you understand why they're being fed this and that and bandaging like any meds he had full trust in you once he saw that you were willing to learn and you were. Um, reliable he was very much committed to giving you any responsibility you wanted so it definitely set me up for probably the next step in my career and then from Gordon I had set up my next six months of my placement to go and work for Chris Waller so again had never worked for a trainer before so decided to go straight to the top and go to what's probably the most efficient organization and racing that there is and work for Waller and Rose Hill for another six months and while I was there I was absolutely just so lucky because Winx was in my barn that I worked in so in each barn there's 20 horses and Winx was one of 20 horses in my barn so I got to see her every single day which was and it never became you never got used to it every time you walk by her box it was like whoa god Winx is there and she's got an amazing
1: Winx's owner came to Carramore and we got the Winx hats and it was like so exciting. And then you went and worked with Winx for like months. and I was, I like, know. It was insane.
0: There's definitely a presence about her. Like she, she knows she's very good. Like she's, she could be quite sassy in her box and there's only two people that would really handle her every day. And yeah, God, she was phenomenal. So the, the racing I got to witness while I was working for Chris and be a part of them with the team. I appreciated it at the time, but I think now when I realise the extent of what she did, having now, well, I'm quite familiar with Australian Racing now, but to realise all those group ones that she won and all the records that she broke and to be able to have actually been at those race meets and to witness it all and see the team that put in so much hard work every day is pretty special now When I look back on it. Also, when I was at Christmas, I was determined to start track riding. I think, not that I underestimated um what it's like to track ride but I definitely have the biggest respect in the world for anyone who track rides or is a jockey because it is not as easy as they make it look I'll never forget Charlie Duckworth who's the racing manager and Chris is emailing me one day saying Emma go get your hat and your back protector because you're on the list for tomorrow and I'm so excited so I saw the list and I remember I was on like two or three that were uh, racing that day, so you just chopped them around. So I did like my two or three trots, and I thought, oh, this is great! I, I love this. it's so much better than being on the ground." And then the next day, he put me on three canters, and that was just a different ball game. <laughs> I was, I couldn't feel my legs, couldn't feel my arms. I was trying to get help from any of the riders that would. They're all very willing to help me and show me how to bridge my reins and keep my hands down. And I couldn't even change my stirrups without like having to stop. So I started from probably threw myself way too much in the deep end but by the end of it I was riding maybe four or five a morning some mornings I'd have two some mornings I've would none but uh, by the end of it I was definitely a lot more confident and it was just something I definitely wanted to take off my bucket list so that I did track riding but I think I've definitely hung up my boots and you won't see me going around around my race course anytime soon but you know that was amazing so I love my time with Chris Waller again there are two very different placements but I think it was a good opportunity for me to learn kind of the stud side of life and also the racing side of life so yeah I absolutely loved it.
1: Mm, yeah and then you went back to Ireland finished off everything and then like what's the new kind of thing and what you touched on earlier was Godolphin and you applied for Flying Start.
0: Yeah so I went back home then and just had one more year of university and kind of took the decision to concentrate more on my studies in my final year so I did some casual work for Leperstown Racecourse on race days and did some work for the student union in my college but didn't want to do anything more than that and then I always knew in the back of my head that I wanted to apply for the Flying Star but I think the biggest thing that was holding me back from applying the year that I did was that I was just straight out of college probably was a bit younger than what the most applicants would have been that I'd have been like Had seen go through in the years. So when I did apply, I would have been 22 when I did initially get on the course, which is, I don't know, maybe it's probably a little bit younger than some of the applicants that have gotten on previously. So I applied anyway, hoping for the best. Anyway, I remember getting a call from Cloda. I think I was in the middle of studying for my final exams, it was about March or April. And I got a call from Cloda and I absolutely had no expectation I had I was so shocked when she told me that I was just so excited called my family they were all so excited and emotional and then told my friends and then I almost forgot that I had to go sit my final exam so that part was fun but it was yeah I just was I was so excited then so then I took that summer I did a bit of traveling around Europe that summer and then started the Flying Start in August of 2019, which I can't believe is now two years ago because it feels like I started it. It feels like I found out I was on it last month and the two years just flew by. So we started in August uh, in Kildangan, which is the base Basin, Kildare, and I had also worked I did a breeding season in the office there so I knew a lot of people in the office there and on the ground which was really nice it's so nice to be back there with everyone but of course in a very different environment with 11 other young enthusiastic individuals that also wanted to make a career in racing so I'll never forget walking in on the first day and my mom and dad both insisted on driving me down to the farm I had thank god i was only traveling down from dublin so it's about 40 minute drive down to the farm because the car was full i think i thought i must have been moving away forever so the car was full mom and dad and i remember all they wanted to do was drive around the farm i was like no you guys just please play cool
1: like
0: (laughs) i remember going into reception and meeting the other trainees and it was the four boys sitting on the couch and they all seemed so shy in the beginning and i was like i'll have to crack these guys now they're Also, timid, and we're all, of course, none of us us knew each other. I knew one girl, so Neve, the other Irish girl, we actually were working out in Kentucky at the same time. So it was so nice to have someone that you knew going into it just to kind of ease the nerves a little bit. But then from the first day on, we were down in Cunninghams and Kildare having pints and dinner together. So it was all uphill from there, definitely. And the first phase in Ireland is probably like the most full on out of all of them just with regards to the workload and working on the farm and assignments and studying so you do a lot of work in the yards with the yearlings so we we're breaking in yearlings there and obviously the yearlings are just from the most outstanding families the ones that you're working with every day that again you do appreciate it but when you look at it back on it now and see some of the so not any ones that I was breaking in but some others from my course are breaking in like group one winners that you see out on the track now and it's just phenomenal and then John Burke in the air above was when he did the he broke into the So that they were they were the that was a pressure that was being put on us when we were coming through the uh, the breaking in stage of the course. And then you also do a module in University College Dublin, which is all about physiology and anatomy. So that was completely new for me. Science was never a strong point in my life, which I realised and why I didn't do veterinary. But then I got landed in this module, and it was it was so amazing to learn at all and I think now it stands to me but it was just, there was just so much information to learn and we had tests all the time and you're trying to balance that with them trying to go out and have social life and, mm. and then there's like assignments the whole time but it's amazing and it definitely definitely challenges you like both personally as well which is I don't know I think it's quite good to be challenged and step out of comfort zone I did enjoy that part of it as well and then we finished we got to do the Orby sales so I did the Orby sales with Philippa Maines and Harriet Jellett, who I've kept in contact with since then. And I've done um, numerous sales with them since then. And they've been a huge help to me and pointed me in the right direction of who I should do placements with and where I should get more experience. And so they were definitely huge people on my time in the Flying Start that um, helped me get to where I am. And then from first phase in Ireland, we go on to Newmarket, which is very different again. So the main thing we do there. We spent two weeks at the BRS um, brushing up on our track riding. So we're all very different with regards to our level of riding. Some of us, like some of them would have been amateur jockeys. Some of us would have just done like riding out some. Joe actually, in order to even do his application, he had to get private riding lessons. He'd never sat on a horse before. So he was he was the beginner of the group and he did his pride out there. He was going around the laundering some days. I think he had the old canter so I think our group was one of the worst with regards to falls I remember fell off twice Monday then we had Vicky went flying around one day too she ended up falling off so we were told that we had a really good um, track record for maybe being the group with most falls in the two weeks so that was something we were quite proud of by the end of it Mm -hmm. and then we also got to do the the mare sales over there so I worked with John Foot who was doing the buying for Cambridge when I kind of wanted to keep that connection with New Zealand so I reached out to Henry Plumtree in Cambridge and he put me in hit for John Foot so that was an amazing experience to do it with such a, a man who has an eye for an exceptional horse but, uh, always at reasonable price he manages to always find a gap in the market so I learned a huge amount from John it was freezing at the sales I just remember that it's not like going to Magic Millions here all wrapped up with about 10 layers on us hiding in all consignors tents with the hot chocolate and then we all went home for Christmas then flew out to Kentucky so the third phase is when we go out to Kentucky of course we didn't know the year that was going to end up being in store for us so we were lucky enough for our first two and a half it was up it was up until Patty's weekends that we so we got three and a half months of normal life and then during that time, we got to do, we did another sale at Keeneland. We did, uh, and I followed Marette Farrell over there who um, helps Gay Waterhouse a lot over here. So that was also a good connection to have. Then I did a placement with Airdrie Stud and also got to spend a week at one of the rehoming, rehoming organizations that America is so streets ahead of probably other industries. And other jurisdictions that they have the most incredible rehoming program, which I think is something we all need to take from. There's so many opportunities for off the track thoroughbreds over there. And mm-hmm. um, so that was a like an entirely new side of the industry that I have little to no experience with before starting the Flying Start. And then we're preparing for a conference, and COVID hits, and we're just remember so clearly we're all sitting in the classroom. And we're, because we were meant to be doing student race day in Keeneland and we all kind of, kind of making a joke out of it being, being like, can you imagine if the race day doesn't actually even happen and we're here planning it all anyway. About a week later, we get told that we're all like have the option to stay in Kentucky and continue if we want to, or it'll go remote and we can all go home. So majority of us chose to fly home. So from March until we fled to Australia in August was remote so it was a very different experience in that regard but it was still it had its own challenges and Cloda and Joe and Martin the team at the Flying Star made sure that we were still getting as much out of it as we possibly could and it just meant that I got to do an extra placement in Ireland which would have been a huge benefit to me anyway because most of my experience was abroad and international so I think it was good for me to learn more about my own um, like home country and, and the racing in Ireland so I spent a month with Jessica Harrington and her yard in Moon so that was again amazing she's an incredible team and I absolutely loved that and then so it's a finished that up after four weeks and then we split ways for about a month and then we somehow managed to get visas and flights to get out to Australia but had to do the two week quarantine.
1: I you in quarantine. Um, you, you ran, and like I remember watching yeah. you thing, and you're just in this little hotel room, just darting around and you're raising money. Yes.
0: Yeah. Cool. I was. A few of us decided to. There's a, a Jim Bulger does a charity fund for Hurling for Cancer every year. So we thought we'd do something beneficial. So me and two of the other girls decided to run the distance of a marathon in a hotel room. I think I got really lucky. I was in one of the marathon suites, which are like self-catered apartments. So my room was quite big and I could make a little running check around. But my God, the room that I think Julie Witt's was particularly small, but also Caitlin's was really small. But Julie was basically running in a two meter wide circle, whereas I, I was probably getting a solid 10 meter run up and down my room. But. And that kept us busy. And then Caitlin would organize Pilates classes for us online with her friend. We had a few other challenges, like Photoshop challenges and sewing challenges to keep us going. But honestly, the two weeks flew and I didn't find it that bad. I think we all coped pretty well in it. A lot of Uber Eats was had, but that's Mm -hmm. to be expected. And then once we came out of our two-week quarantine, we had to do another week's quarantine in Aberdeen. But that was so fine. And at that stage, we we're like, "What's another week going to do to us?" So it was worth it because once we got out to Aberdeen, the Hunter Valley is the most beautiful place, and we did rotations around different farms and training operations there. So I got to do my first rotation with Will Friedman. I absolutely loved my time there. Will had just started up training by himself, so it was amazing to see someone so young and passionate starting from the beginning with all these ideas, and he's just. His energy is infectious and he's so willing to answer any questions you have. And he'll be mucking out the boxes beside you, and he'll be doing the four hours drive down to Dubbo, which was probably my uh, was a very cultural experience. Going down to Dubbo race course. I did another placement with binary Stud with the Fowling team there, which was amazing. They have an incredible team there. And we had a huge big lunch for Melbourne Cup. That's a tradition they do every year. So it was. We were supposed to be at the Melbourne Cup, but we took it with a pinch of salt and and made the most of what we um, could while we were in the Hunter Valley. And then uh, we had a we had another module in Macquarie University, which so we came up to Sydney for about a week and did a leadership module, which was I absolutely loved that. I'm I really love all the personal development and really bonded us together as a group. We had to do loads of group ex- exercises and kind of tests about each other. So it was um, more so mentally draining that week, but it was definitely brought us closer together as a group, I'd say. And then of course we got to go racing every weekend, got to go to the Everest. And then the highlight of my time in Australia was without a doubt getting to go to Magic Millions with Gay and Adrian and her team. She has a team of the most friendly, inclusive, people that i've ever worked with and there was no meeting or lunch or anything that i was not invited to and i was there standing beside gay inspecting everything and she's i was writing all her comments down in the book so i was able to spot things that she liked she didn't like and then got to spend the whole of magic millions with her team and then that just ran into my placement the i did with them in sydney then i spent it ended up being maybe six weeks on the stables in sydney so I, got, I was really lucky that I got to spend time, um, both at track work in the office and in the stable. So I saw every little bit of the operation, and it was I'm very lucky that for my time on placement that I just loved it so much and got on really well over there. That I got offered a job, and that's how I'm back here now. So Easy. I'm very thankful for that opportunity, and I always, I have always had a soft spot, always had a soft spot for Australia, and. I knew that I always wanted to come back long term. This is this will be my third time back. The other two times, I always knew that I would only be six months stint and I'd be going home again. But this time, I'm ready to give it a good crack and stay out for stay out for a longer period of time. And I just think there's, there's nowhere at the minute that can beat Australian racing, whether it's for the prize money, standard of racing, and just how accessible it is for anybody, whether you're young, old how much money you have there's a horse out there that anyone can afford and there's a way of getting into it so I think that we've got a lot to learn over in Ireland about how to make racing more of a probably accessible sport now we can break down those barriers so I'm excited to when I do eventually move back home to bring some of that um I don't know that thing that I I don't know what it is but just lacking back home in Ireland maybe just a lack of positivity and belief in the sport at home at the minute but i think that we'll get there again it's going through a bit of a patch at the minute
1: even how australia's racing was in dire straits years and years ago and they completely turned it around and they're constantly looking you look at like racing victoria and all the welfare stuff like they're getting really good at rehoming retraining all those types of things that are what the public want to see now rather than yeah yeah because there's a big shift in perspectives and this and that with like the new generation coming through you know they want to see this and that and if we can do all those things and rehome stuff and get that the life after racing really cemented um I think that's huge and crucial for the future
0: yeah without a doubt I think there's going to be a huge shift in focus into life after racing and even in Ireland in the last I'd say 12 months there's been troella is a huge group that's being pushed out at the minute we're getting a lot more support and funding from the likes of hri and it's um it's something that's just gonna i think be in the in the front of people's minds going forward that everything we do we have to think of the end result so i think it's good for everyone in the sport and for the reputation of the sport as well
1: definitely so new zealand versus australia versus ireland versus over in kentucky what were your favorite if you could like combine your favorite things from each placement and bring it all together to like your ideal racing world or breeding world. What, what, what are your top takeouts out of each of those places?
0: So New Zealand, I just love, I'd say the landscape of where they breed and rare their thoroughbreds. I think that you won't find anywhere more amazing to wear for a thoroughbred than Kuramore stood with the hills the limestone rich soil that they have and just the management of the grassland there that's probably one thing that I'll definitely take from my time working for Gordon Cunningham I think here in Australia it's just got to be how fun everything is like you you get out of the races and majority of the population you see who are attending the races putting a bet on having a drink are 20s 30s and of course you've got the older age group but it's fun people want to go racing as a social activity the Mm. sun's out you don't need to think about the winter coat you need to bring when you're racing at home in Ireland and just how there's so much opportunities for young people that there's jobs over here that wouldn't even be wouldn't even occur for a trainer to have an owner communications manager or an owner experience manager that there's, there's roles over here, racing manager, again, that's a very different job here to what it would be at home. It's just, I think there's a lot more opportunities for young people over there. And I think people are seeing that. So from my class on the Flying Star, there's 12 of us. And currently there's three of us here and another one is flying out next week. So for four out of the 12 of us to end up with jobs in Australia during a pandemic, mm. um I think it, it, it really has something to say about how attractive it is for young people wanting to come out here and start their careers and maybe end up here for the rest of their lives. It's, it's a hard place and the lifestyle, it's hard to probably go home from here, but um, it definitely I'd say the lifestyle as well with being able to live in the city, go racing, work with horses at Ramwick, and then go down to Kudji in the afternoon. I don't think you'd be getting that, definitely not in Kildare anyway. And then when I go back home, I think, it's just how historic racing is and how there's just so much history behind racing in Ireland and it is just such a classy sport and the standard racing that we have in Europe, I think you can't, you can't beat that with regards to the Curra, Ascot. It's, it's on another page again. So I think that that would probably be the thing that I love most about racing back home in Ireland is just the history that's connected to it all. I think with regards to Kentucky I love that it's basically home away from home as in every second person is Irish over there it's it's amazing and I think the people that have ended up in Kentucky love Kentucky Kentucky it's it almost feels like your second family people are very willing to take you in and give you opportunities that you follow them at sales or yeah Kentucky's more kind of got a family feel to it like everyone's a big family everyone knows each other McCarthy's bar would be hopping on the weekend you're sure to bump into somebody you know down there so I think I love how much of a community um, Lexington is as a, as a place to work for horses and again American Racing is so huge and their prize money is just going up that um, that again is a very, very attractive industry I think probably same for people young people wanting to go over there long term is visas are are such an issue for internationals to get so that would be one of the major deterring factors is which is why flying star graduates find it hard to get to um pursue jobs over there because the visas are just so difficult to get so maybe going forward hopefully i don't know if it'll be easier and to come to get a visa to go and work in america but it's definitely a place that i'd like to spend um, more time at and would have loved to have been able to go to the Breeders' Cup in between because that's something that's definitely on my bucket list. And the Kentucky Derby, we didn't get to go to that. So we need to go to the Derby also.
1: Yeah, no, the Kentucky Derby is on my bucket list as well. Um, so tell us a bit about your current role with um, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bot.
0: Yes, so I am the SAP operations manager here at Gay and Adrian's and I do a bit of everything. So alarm goes off at half two in the morning, get down to the track for 3 a.m. And the first hour or so, we're kind of getting everything ready uh, to go on the walker, swim a few, saddling everything up. And then on the track from 4 a.m. until we usually get the last one off at eight. So it's um, all systems go. Uh, and then Usually get home, have a nap, and I'm ready to go again. And we've got the afternoon stables. So, could be doing anything from putting horses on the treadmill, make sure you just want to make sure that every horse gets out of its box in the afternoon, whether it is just for a roll or a swim, just more so for a mental thing, also. And then I'll also head into the office. So, my role as staff operations manager, I'm looking at um, the recruitment side of things. So, obviously, with the borders reopening. We're really trying to line up um, quite a few internationals to get over. I think all the racing stables over here are struggling at the minute staffing wise is a huge issue. We still manage to get through every morning, but we would do anything to have riders from Europe and stable hands over from Europe and even New Zealand. We can't, we're not able to get any of those in at the minute. So we're waiting for, um, we're excited about having those back eventually um so looking after the recruitment side of things and getting ads out and also we're um just introduced um a new like stable uh, employee of the month so we're, we're going to roll that out this month and we're going to have pizza parties every two weeks and breakfast barbecue breakfasts. and i think it's just so important that the staff in the racing yard are really the, the heart of it all and they're the ones who show up every morning at 3am because they love the horses so uh, going forward we're going to just continue to see how we can improve things staffing wise and make things easier around the yard with regards to manual labour Um, how we can make the staff's lives easier with, if we, it's how we change our mucking out systems get in um, automatic drinkers um Change the rostering system up a bit and see if we're able to, with regards to afternoons and start times. So, it's all and um, it's very exciting. And there's a lot of projects that I have going on in my mind that I want to, I want to get done. But it's, a, it, I think you've got to be patient with something. It's not gonna, things don't change overnight. So I, it's definitely a long term vision, and I'm setting goals that I'd like to see implemented within the next um, next few months, and next few years. So yeah, no, it's a very exciting role. I always people on the flying start wherever you go they always say so what do you want to do when you graduate and I never had the answer because to be honest I still have no idea what I want to do but I always said I want to be more so on the people side of the racing industry and I think at the minute I have such an amazing balance between being hands-on with the horses but also being a a kind of contact with the staff and helping them with their needs and wanting to improve their working conditions for them so I think at the minute I found a very sweet spot of of the balance that I was I don't know if it was couldn't explain it but it's, it's kind of the balance that I didn't know that I wanted but now that I have between the people and the horse side of things so yeah I'm really excited about my new life over here in Australia.
1: It's awesome kind of seeing you kind of grow and it's always cool to see how people evolve in the industry as well um because a lot of like that is one thing with thoroughbred racing industry is a lot of people leave and come and go and I think it's about that staff retention and it's awesome that like from a leading stable point of view uh, you're changing things and you know a lot of people don't want to get up at two o'clock in the morning um no. and go to work, so I don't blame them it's got to be attractive in the end it's got to be attractive I
0: know I know it's so hard when I tell my friends at home like I was on FaceTime to my friends the other day, and and I'm walking home at half eight and they're like where are you going I'm like oh i am just finished work like what time is it half eight in the morning what it's like I mean you do night shifts every day I'm like yep yeah, basically work nights every day but you learn to be calm my my fear was that I wasn't going to be a good napper and for the first two weeks I was not a napper I was not napping I was exhausted and now I can say I'm definitely a professional napper so that's one one new skill that I've learned in the last two months or so that I've been I've been working here so yeah the the alarm clock doesn't get easier but once you're up and that first hour is done then you don't even realize it's four in the morning so yeah that's great you wouldn't get it anywhere else I love it I'm excited to really get stuck into things here and I'm hoping the weather improves because the weather has been I don't know what it's been like over in New Zealand but we're seeing no sign of summer anytime soon just rain i feel like i'm at home in ireland at the moment
1: yeah no we've had actually some half decent weather but i think the rain forecast said rain for the next like week and a half and i was like oh like i've been away from home for about a week not able to ride and now i've got home and it's like pouring with rain and i'm like really
0: (laughs) it is not what i signed up for basically (laughs) like i'm at home in ireland and i have no tan or anything to show up in fact that i'm now in sydney but it'll improve i hope
1: yeah, it'll come it'll come so what are your top tips for people that want to get into the racing industry or look at Godolphin flying start or have no idea kind of where they want to go it just basically from what sounds just take every opportunity like that's what you've done eh uh
0: without a doubt I'd say don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone don't be if you don't ask you'll never get what's the worst someone can say no but you don't have enough experience and I think the biggest thing that has like pleasantly surprised me over the last two or three years is that a lot of the people I meet, they don't come from a background in racing. Like, on oh, my course, only if a couple of people had horses as kids or their family works in racing. And I think that there's, this, there's always a stigma around it that, oh, your, your dad's a trainer. That's why you're in this position or something. But a lot of the time, people just... Have find this random passion for horses and they end up getting to the top of the game. So I think the biggest thing is not, my biggest tip I've said this before is don't compare yourself to other people. Like everyone's on a very different journey and the quote that I live by in my life and always have, I I just remember when I was really young, I read it somewhere and it's just stuck with me is that the expert in everything was once a beginner and it's just always stuck with me because I'd be I'd be reading pedigrees and I would be just looking at the thing thinking I actually, have not a clue. Like before I started the flying star, I didn't know all the different, the capital letters, the black, everything. Now my friends have helped me and lecturers have helped me to understand this But Don't be afraid to ask stupid questions. We all have to learn. And if you don't know it, you don't know it. So ask, don't, don't pretend that you know things and put a face on and, and kind of build up a profile of, oh they'll expect me to know that so I'll I'll say I know this or I did this and I can handle yearlings it's okay not to know we all started somewhere so that would definitely be my biggest piece of advice
1: yeah 100% like I know you know going to a, a Gordon like he would if you needed to know something it would you know just ask because you can learn so much and right. like more, they're all, most studs especially at the moment with all the like people can't get into into country because the thoroughbred industry result like, revolves around the europeans come here and we go over there and it's very like yeah. give and take um like they'll take on someone with no horse experience as long as you're honest and you're keen and willing to learn yeah. um they're keen to have you
0: oh without a doubt that's why I just don't just ask the only le- the worst thing they can say is no and it's, I think also like reach out to people and ask for help and ask for advice. And especially with the Flying Star, when I was applying, I reached out to so many graduates and like trainees on the course. like We're so willing to help. If anyone who is ends up listening to this is thinking about applying, but doesn't know, reach out, find me on Facebook, Twitter, anything, get my email, I don't know, message Hannah and get my number because people want to help and people want to see more young people. And, like at the end of the day, we, we're all very unique and we have this weird common hobby that we've all turned, decided to turn into our careers. So I think the more people that we can help, the better the industry is gonna be in, in the longer term. So I think definitely ask, reach out and vary it up. I think the biggest thing was when I was starting building up my CV, was that uh, I wanted to get experience in the studs for the trainer, doing the sales, bloodstock, race course. And I managed to take all those items off my bucket list, foaling season in Ireland, foaling season in Australia. And I think after the end of the day, it is what you, if you want to manage your own farm, if you do want to train, if you want to work with people, you take bits from everywhere, and you're learning other people's like systems and processes, but they've all pieced their the parts of their puzzle from other piece, people's pieces of their puzzle. So you need to seal their pieces to make your own puzzle of what you want to do in your life. So I think the biggest thing is try and work for as many people, shadow as many people and just take bits from everywhere to create what, what is going to be your, your overall bigger puzzle in, the, in your future life.
1: That's such an awesome way to put it. And on that note, we shall end it there. So thank you very much, Emma. Um, It's been awesome catching up, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, Hannah.
0: That was great fun. And best of luck with your new podcast. I'm excited to listen.
1: Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Emma's details can be found in the show notes. Her Instagram is Colewoman, or she'll be linked through on our Instagram as well. Her details are also available on the Godolphin Flying Start website.